The reading this morning comes from Ruth chapter one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. They went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where they had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home my daughters why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons that would become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. If even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, Naomi said, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on their way until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, 
The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Thanks so much, Kay, for reading that so beautifully. Let me say good morning again to everybody here and also watching online. Um, can I just say it's so lovely to see old friends. It's, it just brings a smile to my face to see your faces out there. And um, it's such fun to see you. And also, can I say there have been so many new faces the past few weeks, and it's great to see you as well. And I'm sorry we haven't really had a proper opportunity to get to know you properly yet, but I hope that the coming weeks will give us that opportunity. But thank you for coming, and you are really very welcome. And welcome everyone again to the second Sunday of our summer program. And I want to thank Rupert for asking a few of us um, to contribute to this series and making life a little bit easy for, easier for us by asking us to speak on our favorite Bible passage. What an agony of choice until I remembered the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is a great favorite of mine, and you know what? It's the perfect summer read. So if you don't hear anything from me this morning, just hear this, read the book of Ruth. Just think about it, those of you who know the story, there is a girl meets boy element, which is great for summer, right? But in case that puts some of you off, let me just say that the romance is only part of this immense love story. The book of Ruth is an immense love story, and the romance is just a part of it. What else? Ruth is a pastoral story, and that's also good for summer, right? It's lush, it's lyrical, a lot of the action goes on in fields of barley. See, it's not just a perfect summer read, but think about the cinematic potential. Two strong female leads, Ruth and Naomi, a strong male lead, Boaz, who emerges in the next chapter. And just by way of banter, okay, I'm just gonna put it out there, I think, say, Mark Beard, would be really great for the part of Boaz. You know, but that's just me. You might have your own idea, but you know, I would say that because I'm his agent. <laughs> On a more serious note, but continuing the cinematic theme, you know how prequels, prequels are a huge deal, right, in the movie industry. Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, my personal favorite is X-Men. So many franchises invest in prequels because we want to know the backstory. And the Book of Ruth is a prequel. It's the origin story for King David, Israel's favorite king, everybody's favorite psalmist. So of course we want to know his backstory. And what we discover is that without Ruth, there wouldn't have been King David. And if we follow that family line, it leads us, of course, to Jesus of Nazareth. So I think you begin to have an inkling that this little book is pretty significant. It adds insight, it adds a layer of meaning, if you like, to our understanding of exactly what it was that Jesus came to do for us. And it's not that in the book of Ruth, God makes any kind of earth-shattering grand gestures. Actually, God doesn't even say anything in the book of Ruth. Usually in the Bible, we read, well, God said this, and then he did that. But in the book of Ruth, God's name features only when the individuals in the book speak his name. And we are not told what God is thinking or feeling. 
his will is detectable only through the way human choices and actions play out. God's character is seen in their character. And the one characteristic of God we see writ large in this story is his kindness. There is a deep and what we'll see is a costly kindness that the characters in this book show towards one another. And this kindness results in this one family being rescued from their predicament. And this kindness points us to the deep and attentive kindness in the heart of God, his enduring kindness towards us. And it points us forward to the depth and level of kindness that took Jesus to the cross on our behalf, rescuing not just a family or a people, but all of us, all of creation. By the end of the story of Ruth, we will see with absolute clarity that God has been working behind the scenes. And it reminds us that despite his invisibility and whether we can detect it or not, God is working his purpose out. And my prayer is that the book of Ruth doesn't just remain a lovely story for us. You know, what is it that Paul writes in Romans 15? For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And can I just pray that in for us right now? Lord, I just want to pray into truth into our lives, this truth that Paul writes about. Lord, we thank you for the story, and we thank you that as we consider the endurance that we see in the book of Ruth, not least your endurance in kindness towards us, that this story will give us real encouragement, and that it will give us the hope we need to receive this morning. Amen. So let's dive in, and I hope it will be okay, Gary, to just have some of the scripture on the screen as I go through. So today we only have time to look together at chapter one, and I'm going to attempt just little character studies of the two women, of Naomi and Ruth, and just see where that takes us. So let's scan the first few verses again, and what a dark beginning to this story which unfolds, we are told in verse one, in the days of the judges. And this was the period after Israel's entry into the promised land, but before they had a king. And just for the purposes of today, let's say it was a dark, chaotic period of general unruliness and breakdown in spiritual life. And on top of that, we learned there was a famine. And for this one family from Bethlehem, things were so bad that they decided they'd be better off moving to Moab, to enemy territory. You know, things must have been really very bad for them. But life doesn't work out for them there either. The father, Elimelech, dies, and the two sons, Marlon and Kilion, married local women, Moabites, and then the two sons died. And so here we have, at the beginning of the story, these three widows, two young women, Ruth and Orpah, and their mother-in-law, Naomi, in the worst of situations. No husbands, no sons. These three women had nothing. They were completely exposed. They had no protection, no livelihood. And we see that Naomi decided, time's up, I'm going home. And that can't have been an easy decision for her. You know, she'd lived for a decade in Moab amongst a pagan enemy. She was going home with nothing, 
And Naomi might have felt ashamed to show her face again in Bethlehem. She might have feared her neighbor's judgment, but she made the decision she was going to go home. And she set off on the road back to Bethlehem with her two Moabite daughters-in-law. And the fact that they set off together assumes that based on the expectation, I think, of that culture, the two young women really had no choice but to go with Naomi. So we have Naomi deciding to return to um, Bethlehem with her two daughters-in-law, and that the two young women, because they had married into the family and they had a duty to that family, um, went with her. But at some point early in the journey, Naomi stopped and she, and we read verse eight. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home and may the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and they said to her, we will go back with you to your people. And we can imagine the tangle of emotions here, can't we? There's real love and affection between the women. There's the fear of uncertainty of going to a new place. There's the pull of duty trying to balance what is my obligation here? What is good for me here? And Naomi trying to be the voice of reason. Verse 11, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who would become your husbands? Return home. I'm too old to have another husband, and even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, you're going to wait until they grow up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No. It is more bitter for me than it is for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. What do Naomi's words tell us about what's going on in her heart? Well, she was acutely aware of what the problem was for her family, that is, nobody had a husband. She was acutely aware of her own inability to provide a solution. I'm not in a position to provide a husband for either of you. The only thing I can do is to release you from your obligation to me and hope you'll find husbands from among your own people. And what part did Naomi expect God to play in all this? Verse eight, may the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Naomi hoped that God would show kindness to her two daughters-in-law, but she had pretty much given hope that God was going to show her any kindness. Verse 12, I'm too old to have another husband, and it's more bitter for me than it is for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. That's how Naomi saw her life. For reasons beyond my comprehension, life hasn't worked out for me, and not only has God not turned things around for me, God's hand, I feel, is positively against me. And anyway, I'm too old now and it's too late for anything to change. I wonder if Naomi's heart speaks to yours. You know, it's quite easy for us to retain a belief in God. We can believe in an abstract way, in an almost impatient way that God is kind. Yes, well, of course God is kind. We can hope for and even pray that he shows kindness to other people. But perhaps without even really admitting it to ourselves, we've stopped expecting him to be kind to us. You might not call yourself bitter, as Naomi did, but you might be resigned. You might be just tired. If I may ask, what is the one thing casting a shadow over your life? What is the thing that's been a burden for years? 
and seems as intractable now as it has ever been. <clears throat> or perhaps this past year has just been awful for you and you don't see a way out of the woods. Maybe you've prayed about it, maybe you've prayed a long time, but nothing changed and you don't see how it will change. And you don't have the energy to hope anymore or pray anymore and really the best way of coping is just to not think about it or just to be more stoical. You know, I'm just gonna accept that this is the way it is, I'm gonna get on with my life. I wonder if any of us feel like Naomi. If, if you do, then this story tells you that God sees you. He does act and he will act. And his kindness to you takes into account everything he knows about you. The kindness he shows will be on his terms and it is up to you to decide if you want to be a part of that. That's Naomi. What about Ruth? In verse 14, we see that Orpah, the other sister-in-law, took Naomi's advice and she went home. She kissed Naomi goodbye, but Ruth, we read, Ruth clung to her. Verse 15, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Every commentary you read on the book of Ruth will say something along this, these lines, that the love Ruth showed to Naomi reflects the love of God. The particular depth of love and the expression of love that we see here is what the Old Testament calls hesed, God's hesed, that Hebrew word we translate as loving kindness or steadfast love. And what the word hesed tries to convey is a love not just of feeling, but one expressed in acts of kindness that go beyond what the recipient deserves or has a right to expect. And this is what Ruth demonstrated. She didn't just declare her love for Naomi, she went with her on the journey. She didn't just go out of her filial piety to Naomi, which Naomi might have expected, but she promised she would stay the course of a lifetime, whatever happened. And she sealed that promise in terms that we associate with covenant. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. She was saying, may God be my witness, I'm never going to leave you. Now this might just be my reading, but there is something in the power of Ruth's words, the clear and uncompromising nature of them, the conviction in them, that brings to mind something of the prophetic. Yeah, it reminds us of the way the Old Testament prophets spoke when the Spirit of God was on them and they just knew what they were to say and do with absolute clarity in that moment. In that moment of decision on the road, what was it that made one daughter-in-law decide to go home and the other to give up everything and everyone familiar to embark on an uncertain future? Remember, Naomi had commended both of them for their kindness, not just Ruth. So it can't have just been, it can't have just been Ruth's character 
that compelled her to make the choice in that moment. You know, we are surrounded at the moment by messages to be kind. You know, all around us, we're being told we need to emerge from this season a kinder and more compassionate society. And what is a little bit sad in these messages is that very few of them tell us how we are supposed to be kinder or more compassionate. Some of these messages suggest that, well, look, we need to dig deeper within ourselves to find these wells of kindness. And we hear that, and all around us, we see our society more and more divided, and more and more of us making ourselves sick, trying to be better versions of ourselves. I don't think it was Ruth's character that compelled her in that moment. There was something bigger than her, bigger than her own knowledge and experience that compelled her to not go home, but to go forward. I wonder if that resonates with some of us. Maybe there are some of us here who, like Ruth, don't know very much about this God we're talking about, but somehow, for some reason, you find yourself here. And you don't know where this is going to take you, but what you do know is that you can't go back to the old life. If that's you, then I hope the story tells you that you're not here by accident. God has prompted something in you, and God can work in your life. He's not just a God to believe, you know, for us to believe in his existence. This God has an interest in your life. God loves you. God wants to be kind to you. He can work in your life, but it's, again, up to you to decide if you want to be a part of that. So we have Naomi and we have Ruth, and I wonder if which of them spoke to you this morning. And here's the thing, there, isn't, there is no voice of judgment in the book of Ruth. There is no moral hierarchy in the book of Ruth. We don't read of God rebuking Naomi for being disappointed. These two women, Naomi and Ruth, were as broken as each other in the terrible loss they'd suffered. Both needed God to bring healing and restoration to their lives. And at this point of the story, all they had was each other's company on the road. And later in the story, we'll see that they were given to each other to help one another, to bring life to one another. All they had was the name of a God they could still call upon. And we, here, we, we've all come together this morning broken, needing God's healing and restoration, and we have the name of the same God to call on. And we've been given one another, whether we've been believers for a long time, whether you've only just come to faith, or whether you're still a seeker. We've been given to one another to be companions on the road for this season. And you know, even if you are a fledgling Christian, you're gonna bring something to this picture that I can't. We're here together, broken, needing God's healing. And we have the name of the same God to call on. And the promise of that God is this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We need to end here, but chapter one ends with what I think are some of the most beautiful words in all of scripture. Verse 22, I love this verse. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. They arrived with nothing in their hands, but they were home with their people, with their God, and the barley harvest was just beginning. What a picture of hope, gentleness, 
of provision. You can sense it, can't you? God is about to do something. God is about to do something. Thanks for listening this morning, and please read the rest of the story. <laughs>